Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Good on FM Los 102.3 FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and of course, I'm Al Warren. Mr. David North Martino is in the East Coast, man on the street, doing the reports for us. <laughs> That's right, man on the street uh, reporting. Yeah, anything, anything new going on? No. <laughs> he's our man on the street reporter but he never watches the news and he doesn't go near no. anything so he doesn't even no. know he knows nothing about what's going on right now so i stay away and i keep myself out of trouble that's right but he knows how to buy good grass for his cat that's right he goes to the pet store and buys yes. grass so he's, he's a kind man Keeps his yeah. keeps his cat in in the lap of luxury. Sure, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, uh, but anyway. I pamper that cat. I do. You, you, well, you do. You do. You need to have six or seven of them. Why don't you become a cat no, lady? No, be like don't a tell my lady. wife that. Why well, she'd like that, wouldn't she? No, she would. Oh, she wouldn't. She would. She'd love it. Oh well, then you get get a whole <laughs> no. get go to the pound and just say I'll take them all. No, no. <laughs> One is plenty. Yeah, that's a lot of work. <laughs> I don't think he'd be happy. No, no. He likes being the only cat. He likes being the getting anything he wants, right? That's right. He's the boss. And, he, know, is. he gets the grass. That's right. That's buying grass for that other cat. What are you doing? <laughs> well, okay. So uh, we're coming to an end of another week. Now, today um, we've got... Um, Another interesting writer, and today we're going to be talking about her book called Pesticide, and that's the uh, Linder and Linder and Donatelli mysteries. So, Kim Hayes, thank you for coming on the show. 
It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's it's always a pleasure talking to people, writers and stuff. And you're you've been around, um, and I mean that in a good way. I mean you were you're, you're living so. in Switzerland. Oh, I mean because you lived in Vancouver, you yes, lived in I the have. States, you lived, and now you live in Switzerland, and and so you you um you really like to to, to get the the feel of the world. So, um, how what what's your life been like um with those countries and that travels? Um, I guess you see a lot. Well, a, a lot of, I had parents who moved around. So some of my most dramatic moving happened when I was a child. And I moved, I, I started, I lived in the United States, in Virginia, actually, with my parents. And my father got a job in San Juan. I moved to Puerto Rico. I started first grade in Puerto Rico. And then in the middle of high school, I moved, we moved, my father got a job in Vancouver, British Columbia. And so right in the middle of high school, I moved from a small, uh, school in Puerto Rico to a huge public second, you know, a huge secondary school in, in, uh, in Vancouver, in West Vancouver, actually. And, um, then, you know, after two years there, I moved to, to the Boston area. So it was very much of a, I mean, to some extent, that was my choice. So the moving to Boston. And of course, it was my choice to marry a Swiss and uh, come and live in Switzerland. And now, in some ways, I've settled out because I've now been here for 34 years living in the same city, Bern, and the same neighborhood, in fact, in Bern. I've lived in two two different uh, houses with the same neighborhood. So... Um, my my traveling days seem to be over. But if you want, in terms of what what has that been like, I do think that it's very clear. It's not surprising, but it certainly gives you a lot of sensitivity to what it means to be an outsider in a different culture and how to adapt. Yeah, and I guess it would also feel like running from the law. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In a way, there's. It's certainly you get you get the word culture shock is definitely not just a word a word when you're the or a phrase when you're a person who's moved from, um, you know, from Puerto Rico to Vancouver and and started a new school, you know, that or or in fact moving to Switzerland, getting married and two weeks later moving to a new country. Um, it's you, 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 it, there is such a thing as culture shock. It's not just one of those words that sociologists use. So, yeah. Oh, I'd imagine it gives, it gives you a different, uh, perspective on, on home life too, I guess. Yes. And, and how you see things where you're at now from all of the other places you've been. I'd imagine it's, uh, you look at things, uh, differently than being born in a country. So. Um, yeah, that's interesting. That's really interesting. So this book, Pesticide, how did you decide to write a book centered on something like this? Like, it, I mean, that's, it's kind of, it's a murder mystery, of course, and you got the detectives. Mm -hmm. Um, but pesticides, so you're using that as, as kind of an angle in this, as, as a point, even enough to be the title. Yes. Well, the book is, uh, about among other things, it's about organic farm, and that is quite central in the book. One of the people who's murdered in the book is an organic farmer, and uh, out living out in the country, and a very determined one. Um, 
and he uh, is actually his body is actually found sprayed with pesticide. So so that's obviously somebody's attempt to make a statement, or so it seems certainly to the detectives and to everyone about um, basically to hell with your convictions, you know, um, because certainly that's one of the big things with organic farming is that you don't use any synthetic fungicide, pesticide, any of that kind of thing. So I, I find organic farming interesting. I think it's, you know, a fairly heroic thing for people to try to do. It's certainly more difficult than conventional farming and takes place on a smaller scale. And I had already, I was already interested in it and actually written a small article about it for an English language magazine. And when I got ready to write a mystery, so I didn't, it wasn't as if I said, I'm dying to write about organic farming and, and pesticide, but I was dying to write a mystery. And so when I started to think about what I wanted to write about, this was a topic that I was interested in. So would that would it be safe for me to say that um, kind of the underlying point of this story is is about organic farming and about the use of pesticides, um, especially because you did use it kind of I think as a murder weapon in a way. Well, it, in fact, the guy is already dead. It turns yeah, out, that's kinda, in yeah, that's kind of yeah. at least I mean they didn't yeah. choke him with it, but um, it it's it's not. Well, I'll say this. It's not a preaching book. It's not a, uh, thank God, otherwise who wouldn't want to read it? But it's not that I um, have a secret agenda that I'm trying to preach about um, how wonderful organic farming is. But I do think it's very interesting for in when we're all fascinated and concerned about climate issues to, to actually find out how the Swiss do organic farming. 15% of Swiss farmers do farm organically, and that is one five percent. So it's not a, a huge number. All Swiss farmers get large subsidies from the government. I mean, they would say not large enough, of course, but but organic farmers are um, get get subsidies for uh, more money and for different things, or at least their rules are much stricter. Let's put it that way. They they don't get money. They don't get labeled organic unless they follow very strict rules. And I, I find that interesting. So I guess what I wanted to do when I, first of all, I decided to write that I want, it was time, I wanted to write a novel, which I hadn't done in my whole life. And I waited until, I, you know, my son had gone to college. Secondly, I decided I wanted to write a mystery. And then I decided, well, I want to research something interesting when I'm writing this mystery, something I'm really want to know more about. So it was kind of a selfish decision. Um, I thought, well, you know, one thing I want to know more about is farming and in Switzerland, particularly. And so why not write a mystery about it? So all of this, I'm not arg I'm not saying you're not right, but it wasn't as if I said I need to make a point about organic farming. It just kind of it grew, let's say, organically out of my <laughs> concern. So. <laughs> well, with your research, uh, did, did you, you know, what was your process, I guess, on on uh, uh, getting your research for pesticides and organic farming and, and all the stuff that's within your book? Well, um, there's also quite a bit about growing marijuana in my book, including <laughs> growing organic marijuana and growing 
you know, what kinds of drugs are available. So it wasn't just, um, it wasn't, it's not only organic farming. I had to do quite a bit of research on a number of things, but I had a lot of fun researching um, organic farming and really going and talking to farmers and spending, uh, not hundreds, but, you know, a number of farmers. I went and spent a day with them. I interviewed people who processed organic foods, who um, sold organic foods through, bought it for, for large stores. And, and so people who, who were middlemen between the farmers and the big grocery stores. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I went and talked to someone at uh, one of the central organizations for organic farming in Switzerland and talked to them about, and this I think was particularly interesting, how they inspect organic farms to make sure that they're following the rules. Because if you break the rules, you you get de-organified. You, you be a farmer, but if it turns out you're not following the rules, you 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 don't get the the label of being an organic farmer. So I found that right. fascinating. Not very surprising, really. I mean, you can't just say, ha ha, I'm an organic farmer and do whatever you want. Somebody has to check that you're following the rules. <laughs> so I had a lot of fun. I really found it very interesting. And I hope that that comes through in the book because I, you know, you don't want to turn it into a big information dump about uh, about farming. But I think for a lot of people, it's fun to find out how this really works. Yeah, it's an interesting. What do you think people get wrong about the whole organic scene uh, in the public? Like, what do, what do you think people you know, they just see it as some one thing and it's not. Well, I, I would, I mean, this, I should be able to state conclusively, but I don't, I think there are so many opinions about this, but it, it, as much as I believe in it and I, I mean, as much as I respect the people who do it and I can, it, you know, you're not poisoning the water, you're not poisoning the air um, you, you're taking very good care of your animals, which you don't have to be organic to do. Lots of farmers you know, have rules about how to take care of their animals. But as many good things as organic farmers do uh, for the earth, it is not, I am not convinced that it is a, it is so work, it is so work intensive. And it produces, you work much more to produce much less because let's face it, um, pesticide works, you know, I mean, it gets rid of the, it gets rid of all the things that destroy crops. Um, and so if you, if you work without any poisons at all, um, you're going to produce less. And, and I hope, I mean, if you get a lot of phone calls from organic farmers saying this isn't true, I'm glad to hear, I mean, I'm glad to know. But what I want to say is I don't see how it could feed the world. The way it's done in Switzerland, at least the way I have learned what I have learned about organic farming, um, I think I, I have total respect for it, but I can't see how you could feed everybody that way on small farms with people working so intensively. So I think people romanticize it is what I'm saying. I think it's, hmm. it's very much romanticized. Yeah. No, I think it would be an awesome thing to be able to do that with everything we have. Everything is processed organically rather than with chemicals. But you're right. It's just not going to happen, you know. Uh, and Kim Kardashian couldn't have the skincare with just natural <laughs> products. There has to be some chemicals <laughs> to make it, you know, happen. You know, it's just it's just it's the reality we face, you know. But this is still a mystery story. So now and you've got to. 
uh, two characters here that are centered. They're, they're the investigators in the story, yeah. the detectives. And, and I notice there's also a sexual tension between them. So you kind of got it all going on here. Um, um, where do these characters come from for you? Like, how do you create two interesting people like this? Well, of course, one, you know, what you want more than anything, I think, as a, as a writer, not just a mystery writer, is you want to create characters that, that are going to grab people. And if you're going to write a series like me, you, you want characters that people will want to see in the next book. You know, that is what makes us, people might be very interested in seeing what the new plot is, but more than anything else, I think they often just want to follow the characters that they like so much, like see their friends again. That's certainly how I feel about a number of series. I mean, uh, so so I had to think about, as you say, you know, how am I going to create these two these two people? Um, I I wanted them to be quite different, and yet they work very well together as a team. So I wanted to think about ways to make them complement each other. Um, and one is a man uh, who's in his mid thirties, and one is a woman who's in her mid forties. So she and she's not only senior in age; she's he is her assistant. Um, and one of the things that was important to me was to uh, because I wanted to use him to show what, in part, what the Swiss are like. I made him an Italian, uh, a first generation. Swiss. So his parents are were working class Italians who came um, to Switzerland, as men did. Um, and I mean, this is this now. Now there are other immigrant groups that come, but there was a period when one of the big immigrant groups was Italian. So he's of Italian, not only of Italian descent, but he speaks Italian at home. And so I wanted to to make them contrasting personalities that would still be able to work together well and and have a you know a cooperation in their work and then that sort of sexual tension between them as well. How do you create your dialogue? Uh, can you hear your characters? Um, you know, do you have an inner monologue? I'm just trying to find out if you're hearing voices. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's I definitely hear uh, I mean hearing voices is is a perhaps slightly over the top but <laughs> When it's flowing, and I mean, you've talked to so many writers, I know you have, and, and, but, and all writers must say something very similar, you know, that there are the moments when you sit there and you plonk out the words on the keyboard and you're thinking, oh my God, you know, how many more words am I going to get out today? And then there are the times when it's flowing. And when it's flowing and you're really in, into what you're writing, you're, you're in the scene, then you do the dialogue just seems to flow and you do hear it. You do hear the people talking. Hmm. And I mean, you know, again, <laughs> I couldn't tell you whether what, you know, Renzo has a deep voice or not or anything <laughs> like that, but the words sort of seem to, to flow onto the page. I am sure that's what most writers say. I hear voices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he wakes up with a shovel and beside his bed and, you know, uh, it's a different story. Muddy but... boots. Muddy boots. Yes. <laughs> well, that's. But how much of yourself is in this? In these two characters? I, I mean, because typically with writers, um, you know, you're in everything in the book. I mean, you've written the book, but or is there one character in particular that um, has more of you in it? 
I, I would say that both of them have um, a lot of me, but that I was really trying to be very careful to also make them different from me. I mean, I'm not talking about age and looks and male, female or anything, but of course, you know, in terms of things that they think, I, I definitely tried to make um, this young, relatively young, from my perspective, Italian man, uh, you know, he, he, I made, he listens to music that I wouldn't listen to, you know, he's, he's interested in sports in a way that I'm not. I mean, I didn't just, those are perhaps cliches, but I, you know, I gave him a lot of interests. You know, I, I wanted to make him realistic to the type of young man that he is. And, and, um, but, you know, I also, I, I also wanted to give him, make him funnier. So, it, of course, you could, I mean, it's, and I think this often happens when two people are friends that, you know, one, one uh, has a sense, they both have a sense of humor, but one is the one that makes you laugh more than the other. So I've given him sort of the, it, he's not, it's not like my books are, I wish I could say my books were funny all the way through, but that's not the kind of book they are. But he, he is the one who, um, who makes you, makes himself laugh and makes the reader laugh and often makes Juliana, his, his boss, laugh too. Hmm. Now, um, I well, like making people laugh, by the way. So I guess I, I put that into him and not into the woman. So, you know, I, I was worried it would make him more appealing, but several people have told me they particularly, you know, that she's their favorite character. So that's good. I like that when I hear that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it, it, so when you, this is going to be a series and when you've kind of got that in your mind, um, do you have this outlined ahead of time? You kind of know how many books you want to do with these characters and where you want to go with them. And you just kind of work your way there or is this mm -hmm. just totally ad lib? It is extremely ad lib. Um, in fact, the reason that, that this is a series, in fact, is because I wrote um, this book is actually not the first book I wrote. The first book I wrote, which is now coming out as the second in the series, um, I, I worked, I revised and revised. I you know, sent it out to agents. I, I sent it to small publishers. I revised some more. And, and finally, I just put it aside and I said, well, I'm going to write another one. So let's see. And so I wrote the one I wrote pesticide. And of course I had, I worked and worked on that one too. And um, I kept on, as I was trying to get an agent for that one and get a publisher for that one. At that point, I did think really, this is fun. Well, not getting published is not fun, but, I found that I liked writing mysteries and I was more or less retired from other work. So I just decided, okay, uh, I'll write a third one. <laughs> so that's how I wrote a series. I just, it was, I mean, by the third one, I was also thinking, well, maybe I can, I'll try with this one. You know, they talk about how you have these novels in your, in your drawer and it's not, it's not, or this is one of the myths. And I don't think I could ever, keep a novel in my drawer because in, in the end that I do believe, I mean, so far it looks like at least those three are going to get published. 
So, I mean, the first, the, the second one I wrote is published. I have a contract for now the first one I wrote um, in the series, which has, I've obviously adapted it so it works as a second. So all I'm saying is it was definitely not planned. If anything, it was the opposite of planning. It was desperation. I just kept writing another book to see what would happen and if I would get published. So finally, one of them did. Hmm. It... <laughs> That's the opposite of planning, would you say? <laughs> yeah, you're just kind of out there, but that that's good too, right? It's it's a little bit more as it comes. But you ever worry about sometimes um as you're going through the story, kind of forgetting what happened in book one when you're writing book three in Absolutely. the sense of Yeah, yeah. So so how do you how do you keep track of that if you're not outlining? How does that ha- work for you? Well well, I mean, of course I mean I'm outlining individually. I mean, not I do some seed of the pants writing, but I also have a sense of what where each book is going um, as I'm writing it. But you're absolutely right. I I really um, this is one where it's very nice to have a wonderful um, editorial director, Dan Mayer, who, you know, reads these books and I'm sure catches things um, at least reading now. The second one, he pointed out some things that didn't that he said, didn't you? I mean, these are little things, but I, wait a minute. Isn't isn't Juliana's son uh, 10? I, you're saying he's 11. Did he you know, was, is that what you want to say? Or have you you know, did he have a birthday and things like that? But in, in greater ways, you can also kind of forget what you've said has already happened. And I just have to go back and read stuff again. There's you know, it's not like I can carry it all in my in my mind. I mean, and I've only got so far three books. I mean, imagine a Michael Connolly or somebody mm. who's got to carry Harry Bosch through <laughs> book after book after book. And, and, you know, it's, and his readers would notice if he, if he messed up on his, his, um, Harry's history. So I don't know how people with long, long series or Donna Leon with 31 Guido Brunetti books, you know, she keeps <laughs> keeps everything straight somehow. Need an assistant. <laughs> well, I'm sure at some point, if you're yeah. successful enough, you can get an assistant. Mm. For, I do not have an assistant. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, now that you've written uh, three books. Have, well, have wait a minute. Any... I mean, only one is published, but yes, now that I've written three books. Sorry, mm-hmm. interrupt. Oh, no, no, that's great. Uh, have, have you found any um, motifs or recurrent themes in your work um, as you've as you've uh, written these and, and gone over them. Well, yes, I have several. Um, I, I mean, I guess these I didn't have to just discover them. I I mean, one thing is I'm I'm very interested in making my detectives have um, family lives. I, I'm certainly not the only person to do that. I mean. Deborah Crombie's police policemen and policewoman are married to each other. Her, her detectives are married and they have kids. So I mean, lots. But uh, it's more common, I would say. You can you you know yourselves as you talk to many mystery writers for detectives, police detectives or private detectives, uh, to have to be loners, to be mm-hmm. um, you know, to be people who aren't very approachable in many cases, often, you know, drinking a lot or um, not not to have a sort of stable family life. But of course, most real police um, do have a stable family life. I hope it's stable for them. I mean, 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. They probably get divorced a bit more than the average person, but most just they're like most people, they go home, they have their kids and all of that, their, their spouses. So I, one of my themes is truly to give my detectives um, re- real lives at home as well as, as um, at work. Um, so, so I have really tried to bring in issues with their kids um, that especially with the older Juliana's children are older, 10 and 10 and 15 more or less that that um work into the themes and i don't mean like one of her kids getting kidnapped and she has to rescue her but or him but but something that would be um make their lives seem more real and and of course another theme for many people who write detective stories is is to present interesting moral dilemmas that's not perhaps a, a theme exactly but i think you you really do without wanting again to be at all preachy you want mostly you just want your books to be entertaining but i think right. you a policeman must and police women must constantly face various kinds of moral dilemmas yeah, absolutely so are you are you starting um your book your story with a question then rather than the character's dilemma so to speak or a character's growth you're kind of more centering around a question uh, it's, I wouldn't say that I have, um, I have a big question in, in the back of my mind, but I do, I do have certain 
themes that I want to, to deal with. And the pesticide begins with um, um, a, a, a one of a young man in his early 20s tripping a policeman um, because he's stoned and he thinks it's funny. And the policeman hitting him with um, his billy club. And so one of the themes all the way through the uh, the book is the issue of police brutality. And I wrote this book, you know, I, I it was pre-George Floyd, actually, although it's coming out now. So, um, you know, but this is, this is, you know, that was just an issue that the nation, that was a murder that the nation finally responded to. But I would say that, you know, this has been an issue for a long time in lots of countries, just, just the kinds of situations that policemen face where they have to act, um, where they might lose it and, and, and murder someone or, or, or hurt someone very badly. Yeah. That's one. Yeah. In this book. Yeah. It's, 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 it's one of those tough situations. Do you ever worry about that kind of being a little controversial in, in these times of, getting involved in that sort of story first of all it i suppose it is a controversial issue but there is a uh continuum between a case where a policeman or i keep being very sexist here i'll just say a cop (laughs) police a cop a police person i'm not sure i mean in my book i'm very careful but here i am right on in public on the radio saying policeman where a cop has to um is is completely right i mean he he's about to be shot and he has to or she has to here i am doing it again the person has to defend themselves versus a murder that for us i mean for the nation is clearly a murder um as in the george floyd situation but there's a whole continuum of things in between and i think um that's where you know there's controversy that's where people can debate but it, it you still have to look there it's a case by case thing um and and um i i think everyone can most people can see they would just disagree about where to call it murder but everyone can see that there are certain situations where someone has to defend themselves so i don't i don't know how controversial it really is as a general topic I think on the case by case basis, it's very. Does that make? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's it's the particular elements of the case that that really make it make you know where I, one I, person. Says, yeah, I just think that there's there's a type of attitude, but um, in the sense of how you how you approach it, like if you're taking it from a, um, like some people will will approach a story and take it from, uh, there, there being um sympathetic to police and to a police um, member rather than let's say the victim and others will take it mm-hmm. the, on the victim side. That's absolutely, that's what I mean. So, so people will, they tend to pick that out these days. Yes. And well, blame. you know, I don't live in the United States. So it could be that I'm very un- insensitive to the things that, but so far, my the reactions you know it's the book's only been out since the middle late april but you know it's not been out for that long maybe not even two months yet but um i would say the 
I haven't had that kind of reaction where people have said, how dare you? You know, nobody has has um, put that in a review or, or, or put that on my website. But, you know, there's plenty of time for that to oh, still yeah. happen. Let's, let's hope that we can get that going now. <laughs> but you. I try, of course, to, to show one of the things I do, and this is in the beginning, so it's not a spoiler, is um, it's a debate already right at the beginning between the policewoman my heroine, Juliana, and her husband, who's a, a journalist. And, um, you know, she is certainly not, she is seeing a, in a particular situation in a riot, you know, she's seeing how uh, how frightened the policemen are and frightened, I don't mean to call them cow, but, you know, they're in a horrible situation with a huge riot going on and people throwing uh, Molotov cocktails at them and you know, throwing rocks at them and um, nobody's shooting at them because this is Switzerland. Uh, but <laughs> and how are they to defend themselves? You know, and and um, what what and and her husband is taking a much more sympathetic side that's much more sympathetic to the rioters. So, you know, I try to introduce both um, sides of the issue and let people decide for themselves. I hope that was the idea. Well, that's that's kind of our yeah. At the end of the book, but what is it you hope people take away from this story? Well, now we you know we've talked about all this serious stuff. I mean, what I hope people take away from it is that they really enjoyed it, and that, honestly, and that they found it exciting. And I hope they don't experience it as any kind of moral, you know, pounding on their head with any kind of moral message. I mean, we've been talking about messages and themes and things but what you most want people to take away is that it was a, an exciting story and that they very much liked liked the characters enough that they would like to see them again and and certainly some of the reviews i've got have had people saying i can't wait for the next one so that's what you want to hear um and i also actually more than the moral issues which are there that we've been talking about, you know, I, I want to say, I also want people to take away um, a new vision of Switzerland, which is not just bankers and Alps and chocolate and watches and all of that stuff, but it's um, a very small country. It has only, it has fewer people than New York city, um, which speaks four official languages and is full of fascinating people. And that they, you know, don't just learn about, Swiss farming or Bernese farming, Bern is the canton that the city of Bern is in. Canton is like a state, but that they, you know, that they really get a sense of what what these people are like. Um, so all of that is is as a, is certainly as important to me as that people maybe after all of this, after the enjoyment that they would take away some thinking about issues um, like. What do I think about organic farming? What do I think about um, dealing marijuana? Which is also interesting because, of course, especially right now, it's still illegal in Switzerland, but, but many places don't have any problem with it. It's a it's, it's business now. So how how much you know how bad how how do you deal with a legal situation when you know other places in the world this isn't illegal at all that someone is dealing marijuana? Um, anyway. So all of those things, but certainly not just the message of, you know, oh, think about these serious issues like police brutality. It's very important. The planet and violence and all of these things are all in there. But 
but God forbid you should read a mystery and come away, you know, feeling you've read a philosophy book. So <laughs> mm. now, now I want to get to the rave. Okay. So there was a rave on a hot summer night. So is this something that you went out to, to get the feel and be able to write about a rave? <laughs> well, I, I wasn't in the middle of, but I was certainly, I mean, what I'm describing uh, there in that section really did happen. Um, and, and it did was, it was a big dance, events, you know, with floats and music and people drinking and having it, I'm assuming having a great time, um, that turned into a, the worst riot Byrne has ever had. And um, so far. <laughs> and and um, um, I was not in the middle of it, but I was certainly aware of it. I was on the edges of it. So, um, and what I also wrote about, write about is a big alternative culture center, youth alternative culture center. And there I definitely went in a number of times and uh, was probably the oldest person around, but that was fine. You know, no, it was not, it wasn't a scary place. Um, and it was funny that several of my friends uh, said, um, you went into the writing school because this is this big alternative culture center, which is covered with graffiti and has a reputation for being full of drug dealers. And, and, you know, it's, it, it, I had no, I had no discomfort at all being in there. So, um, no, you know, it, it, part of doing your research is to go and experience these things. But I admit that I didn't get out there wearing a, a police shield and try to defend myself against the rioters. So, I thought you started the riot. Ah, then just so I could have something exciting to write about, that would have been a very clever idea. Yeah, it? see, uh, get out there and cause the trouble, and then you can write about it, and it's going to be very realistic. Very. <laughs> well, and so the publishing um, didn't sound like it was super easy for you. It sounded like you had a little bit of work to do there. And I think there's a lot of people out there that um, – are trying to get published or want to get published and all that mm -hmm. stuff and that. Um, what did you learn from your seven years of working at it? It sounds biblical, doesn't it? When you talk about <laughs> yeah. seven years of labor, seven years of labor. That's right. Um, I, you know, it, it was, it is extremely discouraging. There's no way to get around it. You get, rejection and you know you write to, you write these nice letters and you, I would even often read a book that an agent had I, I mean I am a fast reader but not that fast but I would constantly you know if I wanted to write to an agent I'd try to skim a book that they'd agented I mean that was under them so I could you know realistically say I like such and such book that you handled. Sometimes that was a stretch, but I, so I tried not to lie too much. But so I really worked hard trying to find an agent and, you know, work. And, and that is to get a, a book published with a big publisher. You have to have an agent uh, in the United States or as far as I know, in the U UK, which I also tried. And, um, and it's very discouraging to be turned down. And of course, you don't know why you're turned down. You know, you turn down over and over. So, I mean, I'm not giving people encouragement, am I? I'm just making them feel terrible. <laughs> and, and, but I mean, this is the reality. This is the reality. So, uh, and I, and I think there, you have to ask yourself periodically, um, should I stop? You know, that is one of the big questions that you ask yourself. Am I persistent in a positive way? 
or am I being, you know, delusional? And this is just, I just have to take, I just have to accept that um, this isn't good enough or it is, it is very good, but people just don't want to publish it or whatever the reason, you know, obviously it's good enough now that it is published. But um, I mean, I realize in a way this sounds like I'm putting my own work down, but I don't think so. I think it's important to keep saying, Hey, this is a good, I think this is a good piece of writing. I need to try to make it better, but I also just need to keep trying. And I did. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I think people should accept though, that it's, it's, it's not them, you know, it could be that it's a terrible book. And that's the other thing you have to keep asking yourself, you know, should, should I give up? Is it time to give up? Or of course, self-publish, which is also a possibility. Um, so I really haven't given any advice, have I? <laughs> except, <laughs> except, except trying to keep your spirits up and, 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 and considering regularly whether this is worth it. You don't want to become obsessed. I mean, you don't want to become, if it's getting, if it's, you weigh it constantly. Is it worth continuing or is it not? And that's hard. Yeah. Well, I think that's, but that's just part of it, isn't it? That's just the whole thing. I think people realize that if they're going to try and publish, it's kind of a, um, there's going to be a lot of that rejection and struggle at times. It just doesn't all happen overnight. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that's all part of it. it, it uh, are you glad that you went through a publisher, but? Yes, but, but that isn't, I mean, and that is, I think, being a, in some way, perhaps being somewhat conventional that, you know, there is a way when you finally get a book accepted, um, it is a validation. Of course, if you're Andy, isn't it? And I guess he pronounces it weir, I think, you know, the mm-hmm. Martian, yeah. he self-published and his, you know, his, his books are, his first book was self-published and now he's on his third, as far as I know, which is yeah. brilliant. I mean, his books are great. So you can get valid, you can self-publish and be validated as well. But, but, but having a quote unquote real publisher, um, is, is, is somebody in the profession saying, I really like this. And, um, also then you get a really, in my case, I get, you know, a wonderful person, Dan Mayer, who's the editorial director of, of Seventh Street Books who also gives me feedback and who, you know, who I can email back and forth with and ask questions to. I mean, if you're lucky, you know, you don't just get, uh, you get somebody, you get a person as well, an editor, someone to work with you that, and that is great, which you don't get if you self-publish. Right. Yeah. It's important. Um, how is your, um, how's your interaction on social media? Do you like fans and readers to follow you on different social media platforms or do you have a website? How do people find you? I have a website and um, I'm using, because I am certainly not the only Kim Hayes out there. Um, I'm using Kim Hayes burn um, without any period, you know, without any periods, just Kim Hayes Burn, B-E-R-N, my city that I write about. Um, and so www.kimhaysburn.com. That's my website. And I am on Twitter and Facebook. I write a blog, which is on my website about Swiss. That's the most fun. I mean, writing my books is fun, but I also try to write regularly on some 
interesting Swiss issue. And recently I wrote about the days that you're supposed to uh, plant your garden, the traditional Swiss days for planting your garden, which come after what are called the ice saints. There are certain saints days that are going to, that are traditionally not been, you know, come just before you should plant. You should never plant during the ice saint days. And this is the kind of thing I think is really fun, just finding Swiss traditions and Swiss festivals and things to write about. Um, so people get a little taste of Swiss culture. Um, but that, yes, I do that. Now, am I an avid uh, Facebook and Twitter person? Mm, unfortunately, I'm not that generous. I mean, I'm sure people my generation have adopted it, but it hasn't happened to me. I'd always rather be writing enough, working on the newest mystery than tweeting. But I'm working on it. I'm getting there. You can find me on these. <laughs> I am there. <laughs> Well, that's I haven't a, got Instagram or TikTok yet. I, I've got to work up to that. Yeah, you're going to have to start practicing. Um, right. Exactly. Now, do you, I guess, you know, when you cover, when you say burn, it sounds very important. So in the series, is it going to be written as a character in itself? The city? Yeah. I, you know, that's interesting you say that, because when I think I love, I love reading Donna Leo. Um, I like those Venice books very, very much. And there, you know, it is very clear that as much as I love her detective and his family, the, the main character in her books, in a way, is Venice. You're just constantly uh, learning about Venice and, you know, all the, the, the life of Venice and how people live in Venice. And yes, I really would like for people to take away, as a, you know, as I said before, to take away a sense of burn, whether it's actually... You know, you could say whether it's a character or not. I don't know. You know, I, I mean, we're talking metaphorically anyway. Um, but it's it's very important. And another character, not really, but something that's very important in the city is the river, which where Burn is, is created. The old part of the city is literally created by a loop of river. Um, the river is called the Are, A-A-R-E, the Are, which flows into the Rhine. And so, you know, it's a big river um, that flows through Switzerland. Well, flows not through all of Switzerland, but it flows out of out of the Alps, as most rivers in Switzerland do, flows out of the Alps. Um, and and it's also in my books all the time because you're constantly crossing bridges over this river. Um, in the second books, it begins with someone drowning in this river. Uh, my book that's coming out that's called Sons and Brothers, which will be coming out in, in um, next April. So I hope Bird is a, is a good character in my books. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it, you know, and that river is a great place to put bodies. You can hide them. There. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, this one in, the, in book number two, the body popped up again, so it didn't work out so well. But, no. um, well, you've got to but, tie it um, down because yeah. it floats after a few days, right? <laughs> yeah. It rises to the top. We've got to be ready for this. Right. You have to weigh it down. That's right. We don't need it to be floating in a couple of days. We're in right. trouble then. We're caught, you know. Um, uh-huh. Now, your your stories are each going to stand alone. You don't have to have one. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, there of course, there's a meta, you know, when you put when you put a relation, especially if you want to create a sort of an ongoing tension slash romance, whatever, between two characters, 
And if you give them children and families, there's going to be a meta story. You know, you're always going to have certain continuation about, um, you know, the daughter's boyfriend and the, you know, the toddler in kindergarten, whatever. And plus the relationship between the two detectives and their colleague. Um, but each book will will def- will be able to stand alone with some reference, you know, to to the earlier things. Yeah. How, what's your writing process like? Are you are you the person that has to be in a quiet room or go away or do you have to uh, have a lot of time or can you do that? Can you say, OK, well, 10 to 2, I'm going to write and you sit down and write or do you have to be in a certain mood? I well, first of all, I'm in awe of people that can go to go to, if, if there are such writers, and I gather there are, they can go to Starbucks or the, you know, the local nice cafe full of people talking and sit and write their book. I could not do that. Um, I need, I do sit in an office um, with, you know, in front of the computer. Um, I do have a nice window, you know, that I can look out of when I want to be distracted. But I uh, started writing my, I mean, basically when I started writing, I was, I stopped pretty quickly stopped working, which thank God I could afford to do thanks to my husband. I mean, most people can't. Um, and I would sit down at my desk by nine o'clock in the morning and try to write six hours a day. I didn't try to write eight hours a day. I mean, I tried to, you know, there was research, there was, there are always other things you could be doing, but I really did try to write and, and, and only on weekdays. So I was very, in a sense, it was disciplined. And in a sense, it wasn't because I gave myself breaks. You know, I took the weekends off or, but I, so and I, it, and certainly some days it was really a sense of, I'm going to just type out a certain number of words. I would not say that I'm very fast. I'm in awe of people who produce more than one book. There are people who produce a book a year and more than one mm. book a year. They have several series go. I can't imagine how they do it, but it's, you know, hats off. You have to be insane. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> I didn't say that. You said that. Oh, I said it because I do that, and I think I'm totally insane. I um, oh you oh you do do it, Dave. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, my mind's um, totally. Um, I'm crazy. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, but you know. It, if you're happy, then it doesn't matter. I mean, if this, I just find that I want to do a lot of other things and I want to have time to take walks and drink coffees and go on vacation and, you know, keep my marriage from breaking up, you know, because it's <laughs> not fair to, to just sit here and work all the time. But listen, I, as I, anyone who can do it, I think it's great. Of course, the funny thing is because I wrote these books beforehand, I'm now going to be able to bring out three books. If I one a year, if I want to, and if the publisher thinks I should, but it's a lie. It's a lie because I, <laughs> took, they they took me two years. So at least I could do it in two years. I mean, at least I don't need ten. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we take whatever we need. You know. And, yes, and also you do. You know, each person is different, and you do what you have to do. Yeah. You know, you have to go to a rave party. You go. That's or start a riot. Yeah, right? if you want to start a riot, then that's what you, you know. You get out there and start it. You exactly. Know, record it and then get home, 
and uh, write it. That's crazy. Well, I, I appreciate everything um, and that you came on the show. And uh, so now the book we're talking about is Pesticide. It's uh, Linder and Donatelli uh, Mystery. And, of course, um, our guest is the author of that, Kim Hayes. Um, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed myself. Thank you both. Thanks, Kim. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.